Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties who perceive a lower quality of life do not feel like themselves and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we'll be providing evidence-based fundamental and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness as these aspects are all important to enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today, we're going to be talking about sex trafficking with Dr. Celia Williamson, Distinguished Professor of Social Work at the University of Toledo, Executive Director of Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute, Founder of the Annual International Human Trafficking and Social Justice Conference in Toledo, Ohio, Founder of the Lucas County Human Trafficking Coalition, Chair of the Research and Analysis Subcommittee for the Ohio Attorney General's Human Trafficking Commission, Editorial Manager for the Journal of Human Trafficking, author of numerous articles and presentations, and host of a weekly podcast called Emancipation Nation. Please enjoy this podcast. Well, today we have Dr. Celia Williamson, as promised, and we're very excited because she has so extensively worked in human trafficking including sex trafficking, and uh, has so much to say. She's worked on every level of the issue, and we're we're very thankful that she took some time out for us today. And I'd like to start our discussion with asking, uh, Celia, would you uh, define sex trafficking for us and discuss a little bit about the incidents? First of all, human trafficking is comprised really of sex trafficking, labor trafficking, and of course around the world, organ trafficking. But when we're talking about sex trafficking in the US, the US government passed the Trafficking Victims Protection Act in 2000. And that was really the first acknowledgement that yes, we have human trafficking victims on US soil. And so sex trafficking is defined as anybody who recruits, obtains, provides, transports another person for commercial sex in which there is force, fraud, or coercion. So if there's force, fraud, or coercion, that is a felony crime called sex trafficking. If someone is involved in prostitution and there is no force, fraud, or coercion, that's a misdemeanor crime. Now, anybody who is under the age of 18 in the US and is involved in any form of the commercial sex trade is automatically a victim of the felony crime of sex trafficking. We don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. This person in fact can say, this is what I'm choosing. I like doing this. This is what my boyfriend and I do. They can say whatever they want. In the US, children under 18 cannot consent to sell themselves sexually. So that's the federal law. And then each state comes in line with some version of the federal law. In Ohio, we are in full compliance with the federal law. Give us an idea of the incidence. And you can speak to uh, Ohio, if you would. But what's the incidence of 
sex trafficking? Well, around the world, there are about 40 million human trafficking victims around the world. That's according to the Global Slavery Index. Now, that number is not a very credible number because it's still in its infancy in terms of researching this issue. And it's a clandestine, illegal underground activity, so it's difficult to provide an estimate, but that's the world estimate. And then the Global Slavery Index also estimates that there's about 400,000 American victims on U.S. soil. Those are American citizens and also foreign-born individuals that are on U.S. soil. Tell me about the the human impact on this. You 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 feel so very passionate about trafficking. I mean, what is your inspiration? What what does this do to people that you want to change? Yeah, the experience, particularly as an American, although I know everybody around the world, so values freedom. When you think about human trafficking, you think about somebody's freedom taken, their choice taken. They're sold as a product to benefit their traffickers. And particularly Americans, we value freedom so much. I don't care what station in life, what walk of life you're in, freedom is held so, so valuable to us. And it's so much that around the world, the worst thing we can do to you as a government is imprison you, to take away your freedom. That's how valuable freedom is. And so when we think about human trafficking, we think about somebody's freedom is stolen in order for somebody else to economically profit. And so we become very passionate about that because every single person, particularly kids who are trafficked, deserve to live a life of their choosing. They deserve to have happiness and fulfillment and choice and empowerment. And these are the things that are taken. And so... Around the world, the the top three illegal enterprises are guns, drugs, and human trafficking. And and drugs are still number one because people around the world still love their drugs. But human trafficking is quickly becoming number two because when you sell your drugs, you have to go get more to, to sell. But in human trafficking, you can sell your product over and over and over. It's a $32 billion business around the world. And It's typically vulnerable people. It's typically marginalized people. It's typically those people that we don't give a lot of power to in the first place. And so to care about people who are vulnerable and marginalized is critical. Define a little bit more exactly who the marginalized people are so we can really understand what groups that is. It'll help us identify them. So who are those groups? Typically what we say in human trafficking, and there's been a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication and misguidedness in this issue. And if you just jump online and look at YouTube videos or whatever, you can, they can take you off into crazy places. Or if you start watching, you know, a movie or CNN, you can go off into crazy places because CNN is showing you this particular story because it's outrageous. So a lot of times people think that anybody can be trafficked and that everybody has an equal chance to be trafficked. And that's just not true. The literature is very, very clear on who is at high risk. And those are five populations, people in poverty, people of color, people with disabilities, foreign born populations. Those 
populations that are highly vulnerable, then any ethnic group, any station in life that has been involved in systems like the criminal justice system, the juvenile court system, the child protection system, young people that have run away, people that are homeless, people that abuse drugs, those types of things, those populations are highly vulnerable to being trafficked as well. How can a provider, somebody sitting in an office seeing patients, what are we looking for if to try and pick up on on whether or not somebody's being trafficked? Well, that's an excellent question because once you understand those high-risk populations, then if somebody comes into your office, there are red flags. And when you weave these red flags together, they might paint a picture for you. And that picture is first going to make you feel in your gut uncomfortable. Something is wrong. Maybe you don't have a label for it, but something is not right here. And it might be a person who comes in with another person that's controlling. Maybe they're holding their insurance card or their their information. Or maybe this person who you suspect is a victim is looking at the other person before answering or the other person is answering for them. There's clearly some power dynamic going on here. And the person with them can be a woman or a man, particularly in my state of Ohio, most of the recruiters and the bottoms, what we call the person in control other than the trafficker is going to be a woman. So don't think, you know, you're not, you're not looking for the creepy, scary guy because everybody knows that's not a good business model to have a scary, creepy guy with somebody. Everybody's going to be alerted to that. So you're looking for that dynamic. You're looking for somebody who is presenting maybe with chronic conditions that haven't been taken care of, maybe a wound or something like that, an acute kind of problem, but most likely a chronic condition that hasn't been taken care of. You might be looking at sexually transmitted infections, maybe PID, something that might point to somebody who might be promiscuous. Maybe they keep coming back in your office, but maybe they're not promiscuous. Maybe they're complying with the demands of someone. During menstruation, they will insert a sponge so that they can continue to work. So if you find a foreign object, that's going to be a red flag. You're looking for language in trafficking, the victims, boys and girls, as well as women, are wife-in-laws to each other. That's what the term is. Sometimes they call their trafficker daddy. So if somebody's referring to daddy, but they clearly don't look related, but that in and of itself wouldn't make a big difference. Maybe they're fostering a child or whatever. But when you start to string these uncomfortable experiences together, it could indeed point to potentially trafficking. And if somebody is trafficked or you get an inclination, you can call the free 888 number and you can describe as much as you know. And so that number is 888-373-7888. And that is our national hotline. And once you hang up, that person will call If it's in Ohio, they will call our task force. If it's in Toledo, Lucas County, they're going to call our FBI task force. Well, that's great information. We'll publish that in the show notes, just so our listeners will know. Can you give us some, you know, examples? Uh, You you have a podcast and you 
talked so much about really specific examples of things. And, you know, can you give us some examples that can help people really put their hands around this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had cases here at our local health department. We've had cases that somebody in the gas company that worked for the gas company recognized a victim when they went down into the basement and they saw various cots where people were sleeping there. This was a situation of labor trafficking. We've had situations where at our on our university campus, I'm at the University of Toledo. So various, and, and so we train beauticians in Ohio have to have one hour of human trafficking training. We've trained gas gas company employees. We've trained rescue squad paramedics. We've done grand rounds in different hospitals because the community has to be the eyes and the ears for us. They see things. City workers, they see things as they're driving around the community. Those That's the eyes and the ears. The healthcare system is critically important because there are three places where victims may be seen in conventional society. One is criminal justice, which they do not historically have a good relationship with, a trusting relationship. There is social services, which they may or may not have had a history that's been positive. The third place is healthcare. Healthcare is a window of opportunity where people come in and they consider healthcare very neutral. They usually don't have a good opinion, a bad opinion. They come in, they get seen. You're one of the few professions that you can tell people what to do. And often they go and do it. You come into a room, you've never met this person in life, and you can say, take off your clothes. I'm going to put my fingers in places that they normally don't go. I'll see you in a minute. And people go, okay, that sounds, sounds reasonable. So, you so have true. Yeah, so true. And so you have a lot of power. You have a lot of opportunity. And so when someone comes in and you feel uncomfortable, we start in the lobby with the receptionist. And the receptionist is listening, should be listening. And they may hear things like, now, don't you say anything about what, you know, they may hear the true conversation before they get in, in front of the healthcare provider. So the receptionist is very important. When we get back to the room, the nurse is very important because the nurse is asking those preliminary questions. They are getting a vibe of what's happening. That doctor, that nurse both have the power to separate those people. You can say things like, you know, we have to get a urine specimen now, so I'm going to walk them down to the bathroom. Or can you please wait out in the lobby? We have to, this is a matter of confidentiality or procedure or whatever we have to say to separate those two people. And then once those two people are separated, that nurse or whoever has more time can call the social worker, can call the sexual assault nurse to ask more intimate questions about, have you ever traded sex for a place to stay, for money, for items, for drugs, anything. It doesn't have to be cash money. If you are trading sex in order for somebody else to benefit and somebody else is getting paid, somebody else is getting drugs, whatever the transaction is, that could be a potential case of human trafficking. We don't have to sort it out there. That's what we have prosecutors and <laughs> to do. But all we have to do is suspect. And once we suspect, particularly in Ohio, if somebody is under the age of 18, this is a case of child abuse. And if it's child abuse, 
then we are mandated reporters. So we report to child protection. We can call the 800 number. We can call the police. But in many states like Ohio, every police officer in Ohio is trained to recognize human trafficking, but they're only trained enough to give the case over to the task force because the task force needs to take out the entire cell, meaning that there are many, many players in this underground economy. And we don't want police just arresting and taking out one link in the chain. We want to take out the entire chain. And so the local police do not investigate these cases. They give them to the task force to investigate. And so you as healthcare providers, your piece in this whole puzzle is to recognize, to feel uncomfortable, and to make that phone call, whether you're right or not, doesn't matter. Take the chance because you could be providing a very valuable piece of the puzzle that our task force needs. You, you talked about uh, some of the things that people in Ohio can do. Say if I live in Indiana or Illinois, the laws are different. How do you explain to a provider what to do? Yeah, in Indiana, in California, in Massachusetts, we are all under the federal law. But each state has also passed its own laws. And I can tell you that most states do come in line with the federal law. So what that means is that you can call child protection in your county. You can also call the 888 number. I always tell people to do both because you never know how strong your county child protection service is going to be on this issue. But the task force, and every state has a task force, so once you call the 888 number, they will call the appropriate task force. And the 888 number is connected to a program called Polaris Project, and it's polarisproject.org. They run the national hotline. And so they have reached out across the states to make sure that they have their dots connected. So when you call them, and by the way, you can go to polarisproject.org. There's lots of good, valuable information. I often point people in the direction of Polaris Project and sharedhope.org for credible information because you can get lost in a sea of misunderstanding if you just go on the internet. But yeah, that should work in any state and most often across states in various counties, there is a human trafficking coalition or a commission. And those are made up of healthcare professionals, criminal justice professionals, social services, faith-based communities, survivors who come together once a month and they work in their particular municipality to develop protocols, to develop responses legally, but also direct responses to help victims recover and heal. We have a national campaign called Rescue and Restore. And so there are a lot, of, for instance, in Ohio, we have 21 coalitions. So it's highly likely that there is a coalition in your community, if not in your county, in the state. Yeah, I know you started that in in this uh, Toledo area. Yes. That's great. I will publish some of these Polaris and whatnot in the show notes as well so people know. So when we know a little bit about, we report some of this stuff and, and help an individual what about uh, the folks that want to go a little bit farther and just really want to do do more to help combat 
human trafficking, what can they do? Yeah, there's a couple of things. One, if you are a student or a professor or you're connected to a university, you know, having people in your county come into the classroom and prepare students, give them a human trafficking overview, show them the red flags and the risk factors so that they go out into their profession knowledgeable about what to look for and what to do. If you have the time, you can join your local coalition. They are always looking for people. Coalitions are very diverse in terms of disciplines, and they need a diverse response. And so you can be the voice. You can be the person who comes to the coalition, takes it back to your healthcare system, and says, let's design our protocol What's our response in our medical center, in our clinic, in our hospital? Who talks to who? Once we get that feeling that something isn't right, who comes in? The social worker, the same nurse, who investigates, who asks the questions, who reports? There's a protocol that needs to be in every hospital system because there is a national study that was completed that said 89% of victims were involved, engaged with the healthcare system. So there is an opportunity there if we pay attention to it. And I know that healthcare people don't have all day to talk to people and they can't spend the whole day doing this. So there has to be a protocol in place. That protocol has to be fairly easy to use. We have to have a response. That's another critical way that somebody could contribute. And for people who don't have time to join a coalition, there are always ways to, in holiday time, or to contribute financially to a local coalition, to a direct service program. I promise you there is not a direct service program that is flush with cash. They are not wealthy. They are likely hanging on every year, hoping they're here next year but they do very important and valuable work. So I do that as well for the causes that I love, but I don't have time to give my personal time, you know, writing checks, knitting, crochet, whatever the hobby that you do, purchasing socks. You can't imagine how valuable socks are to people who are victims who are just coming off the street and we're trying to help them. So any type of support, It doesn't have to require your personal time, but any type of support like that just helps move that needle a little bit more. So all of those things are possible. How successful with the net and the network that you've set up, how successful would you say you feel you are with this? I think it's life-saving. As medical professionals, you save lives in a very direct way. And in this instance, we save lives in a very direct way. A lot of our victims have been battered, abused, beaten, sold, traumatized, and it takes a lot of work because our victims, for one, aren't running into our arms thankful to be rescued. You have to understand that there's been a lot of trauma bonding, a lot of Stockholm syndrome that has gone on. When you take someone and you isolate them, not not physically perhaps isolate them, but The controlling voice is the trafficker. And so in trauma bonding experiences, if I want to keep breathing, I have become very loyal. I do whatever you ask. I actually start to believe what you believe. And so as we're deprogramming these victims, oftentimes they run back out of desperation. And so there's a whole process 
of recovery. And so they get a lot of trauma treatment from trauma treatment therapists. We have to link them up with housing, clothes, food, all the things that really are very basic needs to start. And then we drill down into psychologically how to re-empower you and give you your choice and your freedom back. Well, there's two things that are, are fabulous that you do for people that want to get more involved. Number one, you have an international uh, conference and you have a podcast. Would you tell us a little bit about both? Yeah. So the conference is the largest academic conference in the world. We have about 100 presenters. We have about 2,000 people that attend. We also have a high school day for high school students across the U.S. who learn about human rights and human trafficking. And that always happens in September. So if anyone is interested, it's traffickingconference.com. Very easy. And you can learn about the conference we have every September. Then I have a podcast called Emancipation Nation. And that podcast, I bring on experts from across the U.S. and around the world. And really the point of both of these things is to counter the misunderstanding that people have about human trafficking. Human trafficking is largely not about snatching and grabbing and chaining and white vans running or snatching people. It's more about manipulation. It's more about befriending people and psychologically trapping them. If you want to know what it's like, watch the R. Kelly documentary, chapter, rhyme, and verse. He shows you how he starts to entrap people. Our victims don't want to run. They don't, they're loyal. And so we really have to work on reminding them about their freedom and their choice and abuse and exploitation and all of the things. It's a very complex. I wish we had victims who are trying to escape, but unfortunately it's not the caricature of what people think it is. It's deeper. It's more complex. And so listening to the podcast, coming to the conference you learn really what it is so that you can be most effective to help people get out. What would be your your parting shots with us today? What's the, the one thing that burns the, the brightest in your soul that you would tell our, our audience? I mean, I would say that this is one of the social justice issues of our lifetime and freedom is critical to all of us and i know that we're at the age now where we learned about in history books about martin luther king and civil rights and we celebrate every year but that was something in bygone years i'm saying to you that those aren't bygone years that there are people today that live without freedom and that the nostalgia of what we think about Martin Luther King back then, we can do today. We can do right now. We can be a part of this new civil rights movement, this new movement to help people reclaim their freedom and their choice. We can do that today if we choose to get involved. And so that's my message that I would leave people with. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us and fabulous presentation. Thank you. And have a great holiday time. It's it's holiday time. And so th thank you very much and uh, hope the best for you and yours. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.